Today's episode is sponsored by Struggle Snuggles Ball Pythons. Struggle Snuggle is a small hobbyist breeder who wants to share the joy of ball pythons with new and experienced snake enthusiasts. Struggle Snuggle offers different types of morphs and standard non-morph pythons. Struggle Snuggle will offer insight on the first-time python owners and is available via email for questions on the continuation for healthy care of your new python. You can reach Struggle Snuggle through his Instagram at strugglesnuggle32257. That's strugglesnuggle32257. So you can get a look at the different type of snakes that he does own. Again, strugglesnuggle32257. His Instagram handle will be in the show notes. Now let's get on with the show. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 84 of the Graveyard Grumbler podcast. I'm your host, Tino Romero Jr., a.k.a. the Graveyard Grumbler. Today's episode, number 84, is going to be one that's way out there in left field. It is going to be a pretty shocking episode. Listener discretion is advised. Now, one of the reasons why I'm putting this episode on the free pod and not the Patreon I want to give people a, 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 a sample of some of the episodes that I do release on, on the Patreon. I, I release really, in my opinion, too graphic of episodes to be released on the regular podcast. Since I don't know my demographic, I don't really want to offend some, you know, a bunch of little kids by them listening to really graphic episodes. So this one, I felt like, you know, I, I can actually release this one on the, on the normal pod on the on the free pod for the reason that the origin of the story isn't known. I t- I I I read this off of Creepy Pasta. Now the reason why I chose this episode was that or or this topic was that the reason is that a lot of people or not I shouldn't say a lot of people, but there has been rumors saying that this might actually have been true. However, a lot of people are denying that it's true because they don't want to admit the brutality and the horrific things that that went on during what we're going to, what we're going to talk about today. So allegedly, again, I, I don't know how accurate this is. I am simply going off of what I found just off of several different wormholes that I, that I went through. And according to a couple people that say they were actually there during this event back in the 1940s. Now, for the, some of you who, who follow Creepypasta, you know, I, I, don't really, I don't follow Creepypasta. I just came across this, this, this story on accident. And for the longest time, I, I figured, you know what? Yeah, this might be something I might release on the Spooky Stories edition of the, of the Graveyard Grumbler podcast. But, but this stuff was just too, too good for me to put it on, on the Grim Tales of a Dark Mind which is a paid Patreon, the, the paywall for, for the, the scary stories and other things that, that are released on that, that I feel are too graphic. So let me, you know, let, let me start, let me start bullshitting around. So what we're, we're, we're what today's episode is going to be about is the Russian sleep experiment. Now, again, no one knows how accurate or how true this is. Some people say that this is 100% something that occurred back in the 1940s. And other people say that this is complete bullshit and was made up for a horror story on Creepypasta. Now, when you look up the author who wrote this in Creepypasta, the author is unknown, which makes it that much more creepier. 
So let me stop building it up and let's go ahead and get into it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we should. We should get into it. What is the Russian sleep sleep experiment? The Russian Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. Now, in the 1940s, because of World War II, it's not uncommon that a bunch of researchers from around the world were experimenting with several different things for either biowarfare, for their own torture, to get truth from from the enemy. Well, you know, whatever the case may be, it, it has been proven that re, that scientists and researchers used several different types of biochemical uh, experiments on their own people. Now, we, 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 you remember the Japanese, they had that whole thing where they were using fleas and that were infested with syphilis that, that they, that they dropped on their own people. We also know that the Nazis experiment who did horrible experiments on, on the, on, on the Jews, the resulting in not resulting, but attributing to the whole Holocaust and the whole bullshit thing that happened there. So it's not uncommon for in the 1940s or actually throughout history period where such experiments were conducted out of curiosity and to develop a weapon. It's it's not, it's not, it's not uncommon or outrageous for something like that to have occurred. So let's continue. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them, since it was toxic and high since it was toxic in high concentrations. So of course, I mean, with with any good test subjects, you're not going to want to kill them, so you're going to want to monitor them as much as you can. Now, this was a time before closed, closed circuit cameras, so they had only microphones and five-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows into the chamber to monitor them. So all they had was like little, little submarine windows so they can peek their head in there and find out, yo, what's, what's happening. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on, but no bedding, running water, with no, but, no, but no bedding. It had running water in a toilet and enough dried food to last all five for over a month. The test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Again, that's not something uncommon where, where certain countries decided that, yo, you are now an enemy of the state. You are my prisoner. And since you are a traitor, we are going to go ahead and conduct whatever experiment we want because we can and no one's going to care about you. So how did this experiment progress? The progression of the experiment was kind of yeah, really crazy in certain aspects. You know, a, a lot of times for for all you scientists out there, you know very well that whenever you're conducting experiments, you're expecting something to go wrong and you kind of wait for something to go on and hope for the best that nothing ever goes wrong. So in this case, I believe what they what they were expecting wasn't what what they what they what they what, what they found or what happened. So let's continue. Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised falsely that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. So, of course, I mean, a lot of times the prisoners are lied to. That's no big secret. You know, hey, if you if you go through this test and, and you make it out perfectly fine, then we're going to go ahead and let you go. It's not a big deal. Is that the deal? Deal. All right, let's, let's get it. Their conversation and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past, and the general tone of their conversations took on a darker aspect after the four-day mark. After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. 
They stopped talking to each other and began alternately whispering to the microphones and one-way mirrored portholes. So it, it sounds to me like a little bit of a senility and, and paranoia with along with some schizophrenia tendencies are starting to occur. I mean, you have some psychosis, you have some hallucinations. You just have a lot of things going wrong. I mean, that, and that could be 100% the effect of, 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 of the gas that's being pumped into this little room with these five individuals, right? I mean, right. You, you, you're, you're expected to do this stuff. And, and you're, 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 so the results is, is pretty much exactly what they're looking for. They know that certain things are going to occur, but they don't know exactly the extent and how humans will react to it. So they start pumping it up. And now they're starting to see, all right, well, at this, at this level of, of, of gas being released into the room, this is what's starting to happen. And this is what time and how many days and what hours, you know, that, that's, that's what scientists do. They, they, they monitor and research all this shit. So let's continue. Oddly, they all seem to think they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself. So, hey, you know, let me trust. I'm going to start turning this dude. Now, he told me exactly what was going on. So here, this is what happened. You can trust me now. So things start to go bad. After a few days of, of this gas just being pumped inside of the room, things start, start going, taking the turn for the worse. I mean, the, of course, like, like I mentioned earlier, scientists already know that certain things are going to go bad, but they don't know to what extent. And so because of that, they are kind of prepared, but at the same time interested in waiting for things to go bad so they can find out, you know, adjust whatever it is and try it again for a better outcome next time. So let's continue. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. One ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. So we have one guy who's completely lost his marbles. He has, he, he is just done. The, the, this, this thing has made him break. He is no longer capable of functioning correctly. And there is, the, the all chaos is, is, is ensuing inside of this experiment. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captors reacted to it, or rather, didn't react to it. So, according to reports, again, I had to go down. I had to go down like seventeen different wormholes just to try to figure out. I don't know if these are true reports, if they're false reports, or if they are just other creepy, creepy posters, posterers that added onto this story. Now, from what I'm gathering, is that. This gas is some sort of numbing agent to where, you know, you're going to have some sort of paranoia. You're going to have some psychosis and you're going to lose your marbles after, after, after some time. Now, for those of you who have stayed up for, for quite a while, you know, either sober or under the influence or the assistance of certain chemicals, you know, I'm not, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus or I'm not dropping dimes on anyone, but for those of you who have used you know, uh, uh, chemicals to help you stay awake. After a few days, you start hallucinating and you start feeling insane. Well, at least that I did. You know, after there was, you know, there was times in high school where I went on, on a, a four day meth bender. And by the third day, I, I was completely losing my shit. I mean, I felt everyone was coming after me there. My paranoia had ensued. I felt sick. I felt raging. I, my mind wouldn't, wouldn't ease, but I couldn't sleep. Every time I lay down, I felt like like I just, there's people watching me and it made me even more paranoid. It made me more insane. I mean, I would look in out of the window several times. I would walk the, the, the rooms of my, of my house. I mean, I only, it was only a three bedroom, you know, one bath house. It wasn't very big, 
But in the middle of the night, and we're talking about two, three o'clock in the morning, I, I mean, I'd still be awake from, from the previous days and I'd walk around. I'd walk into the living room, into the kitchen. I'd peep out the back door. I would peep out through the front window. I, I would make sure that the person who I felt was coming after me wasn't after me. So I could only imagine after nine days, be, and this was only, only after my third day being awake, I couldn't imagine being awake for nine days consecutively. In, in one room with a bare minimum, surrounded or not surrounded, but in the company of other people that you have no idea that are possibly going through the same exact thing that you're going through. So now close, I mean, just think about it. So everyone's listening right now. Close your eyes right now. Close, I mean, you know, okay, I see you. Chewbox, close your eyes right now. Close them. So now close your eyes and picture you're, you're locked into a room no bigger than we'll say, we'll say a kitchen. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll do a kitchen and a dining room together. You have no bedding but a cot. You have food that, that's rationed out to last exactly one month. And then you're also going be, being pumped this, this unknown nerve agent or this gas that is altering your mind in some way, shape, or form. So now, think about four other individuals going through the same exact thing who are possibly, more than likely, criminals. One way or the other, you know, some might have attempted assassination on, po- on political figures on military personnel, some way, some, some way, shape, or form, even espionage, but they have become, become an enemy to the state. So now you're locked in a room. Now close your eyes. Keep them closed. You, 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 have, you have these individuals staring at you constantly, plotting on maybe defending their life and taking yours, or vice versa, or their paranoia increasing, wondering what are you plotting and why are you plotting against them? So now imagine staying there and now you're on, on top of that ad insomnia, delusion, and, and I mean, an increase of psychosis. Would, how long would you, I mean, honestly, how long would you be able to last in some sort of experiment like that? Let me know, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com graveyardgrumbler at mail.com graveyard grumbler podcast on instagram Podbean, pod chaser and good pods you leave a comment i want to know how long would you think you would last during an with an experience like that i mean me personally i mean jesus christmas you know i i would i wouldn't be able it, it would it would be all bad it, it would be all kinds of bad in all kinds of ways i mean there's no way that i would be able comfortably to to conduct that experiment without flipping my wig before the nine days. Let's continue. They continued whispering to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, and pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering to the microphones. Ew. That's pretty gross, number one. I mean, I've, I worked in a mental health facility. I worked in a mental health facility for years and years and years. It was one of my most favorite jobs that I've ever done in my entire life. I, I mean, I, I even worked as back in the, in, my, in my early days when I was a, when I was a wee little grumbler back back in my way before I was forty years old. I worked in 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 the ER. I mean, I can't, I remember one of my other episodes. I I mentioned that I was a, a housekeeper in the emergency room, and I walked into a cash room, and there was a dead body in there, and I was you know pardoning myself and speaking to it as if the individual is still alive. 
part of the emergency room where I worked at, there was a a mental health room, a little a little treatment area that was, I mean, it was literally a rubber room with thick, thick glass wind, thick pane glass window to where the psych nurse was able to, to monitor the, the individual who was kept in that in that room. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, we did have some poop smears where they would legitimately grab the poop from their butt and smear it all over the goddamn wall, the goddamn door handle, the window themselves and refuse to cooperate. Now, what's funny about this now, for those of you who've ever worked psych, and, you know, I, I'm not sure if, if, if one of the gals that I've worked with before who's worked psych with me on the floor, one of the nurses. I mean, I know I know a few nurses who've worked psych before, but I don't I don't know if they listen to this podcast. I would hope so. But could you imagine walking into a room trying to give an injection of of uh, Ativan to help calm this combative patient? But. You're, you're hesitant on on actually helping with the takedown and the restraint of the patient in order to give the injection because the patient is covered in poop. And so is the door handle. And so is everything else. So just the foul odor of a small room that, that has poop smeared all over it. Now think about that here, but with four other individuals, five hundred individuals who have wiped poop on, on papers and stuck them. Like they, they used them as glue to glue you know, uh, book pages over the portholes so the scientists would not be able to look inside of the room. I mean, that's pretty gross, if you ask me. I mean, but the whispering in the microphone stopped as well. So after three more days passed, the, research, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working since they thought it impossible that no sound could be coming with five people inside. So ironically, or not ironically, but eerily, five people in a room that, that are... Cl- experiencing the early stages of psychosis and, you know, a mental break, not one of them are making a noise. Now, mind you, it's really difficult for the researchers to, to peek in there because they have paper that are covering the portholes. And I mean, of course, the scientists, the researchers aren't going to open up the, the, the room and release all the gas and have to start over and, and ruin the experiment just because some prisoners decided to, you know, poop, poop seal the, the portholes so no one can look in there. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. So even though they were still monitoring, their their numbers were still showing that the five people were still alive and still being active, but there was no noise coming from the room at all. You know, I I can understand if it was one or two people, but five people... Experiencing the same amount of, of gas that are that's being pumped in this room, experiencing almost the same exact outcome as far as psychosis and paranoia. I mean, it sounds like there's some aggravation and some and some uh, some rage setting in as well. So you have you have five people, but eerily they're all quiet and not one peep is coming from them. However, levels of oxygen that that's being used still shows that five people are in the room and the amount being used is shows that they are, that they're doing some physical activities. That's kind of weird. So on the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives. They were afraid were either dead or vegetables. 
I mean, that's something that you want to do. I mean, in order to get to find out what the result's going to be, you're going to want to, you know, kind of poke them with a the stick and say, hey, do something. You know, you're, you, you, haven't been, you haven't done anything for a while, so I need you to do something. So now the researchers are trying to get a hold of the situation. When, when research comes to a stalemate and, nothing, and the numbers that or the, the outcome isn't going in the direction that you want it to, now you have to try to get a hold of the situation and get the, the research and the experiment back on course. Again, I don't know how accurate this story actually is. Again, I got this off of Creepypasta. So this could be completely made up and an awesome fucking story. However, this can actually be true where I've read some say, again, I don't know how true, I fell into a goddamn wormhole, that this story, this, this experiment was actually conducted. So let's continue. The researchers announced we are opening the chamber to test a microphone. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn you one of you your immediate freedom. To the researcher's surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond, respond, we no longer want to be freed. So the researcher is announced. Step away from the door, lie flat on the floor or you'll be shot. If you listen to our demands, one of you will 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 receive your immediate freedom, which was bullshit. They, they had no intentions of, of freeing them. But they heard one single voice respond saying, quote, we no longer want to be freed. Now, these are the same people who, who have agreed to do this experiment in hope to be freed, to be released after, after being in, you know, in, in a, a test subject for, for this experiment. That doesn't make any sense to me. So why why don't they want to be freed now? You know how how what kind of effect does this gas does this gas have? What happened in order for them to change their mind on wanting to be free? That that's my question. Debate debate broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the fifteenth day. So after you know after no, nobody was being. None of the of the five test subjects were responding through the intercom. Researchers and the government and the military said, yo, we finally need to open this, comrade. This shit needs to be taken care of because we, we're dumping a lot of money into this project and we need to know what's going on with our test subjects. We're opening it. The chamber was flushed out. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air and immediately voices from the microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging as if pleading for the life of loved ones to turn the gas back on. What the fuck? So now, now, the test subjects are begging for the, for the gas to be turned back on since they enjoyed whatever was happening. So whatever whatever was, was affecting their, their, their psyche and their mental health, they embraced it and learned to enjoy. It's like a drug. When you start getting used to a certain way of life or a certain way of things and you know what is going on or not what's going on, but what is causing that way and you enjoy it, you're going to want it more and more. I mean, it's an addiction. You're going to want more, more of that to make you feel a certain way, right? Right. I mean, so now, now these tests, three different voices. Now there was five people in there, remember, but only three different no- voices began begging for the gas to be turned back on. Hmm. Let's continue. So the chamber was open and soldiers sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive. 
although no one could rightly call the state that any of them in uh, any of them were in life. So when the soldiers walk in, everyone started screaming. The test subjects were screaming, and so were the soldiers. Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state that they were in alive. What the fuck does that mean? So now we're trying to figure out what happened. So, I mean, we have the doors open. The, the gas has been drained or, or flushed. We have, we have fresh air in there now. Now we have the door open. Soldiers went in there to go retrieve and find out why isn't anybody responding and why are people wanting the gas put back in there? The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subject's thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate accumulate on the floor. Oh, you heard that right. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subject's thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. So one of the test subjects was murdered, obviously, and was, I don't know if they, if they were eating this individual or they were just chopping off chunks of him and just mutilating him. That, that That's bizarre. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large, por- large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. So how much of it was actually water and actually was blood? I mean, the human body has a lot of blood. Again, I'm, I go back to when I was an, uh, an ER, an ER uh, housekeeper. There was one incident for those of you who who are young, weed little lads, or who are queasy. You know, listener discretion advised on this story. When I was a weed little lad, and I was working in the trauma unit in in Bakersfield, California, Kern Medical Center, there was this there was this stab victim who her husband had stabbed her forty eight times. I think I've mentioned this story before. So when they, when they had her on the table, she was bleeding out. There's blood just pouring out of her wounds from everywhere. The, the nurses and doctors were trying to stop it. I and mean, they were plugging. They had blood going in. They were trying to replace as much blood that was, that was oozing out of her body back into her body. So one of the doctors suggested, yo, she's not breathing. We've shocked her five times. We need to act now. So one of the doctors decided, so we need to cut... The, the, we, we need to open up the, the, the patient's chest. And so one of the nurses said, well, I got it. They sliced the patient from, from collarbone or from right, on the, right underneath, the rope, I guess, right where the top of the chest starts, all the way down to the sternum. Another trauma doctor grabbed what looked like huge metal clamps with like this, uh, this twirly handle on it. You know, like, uh, we'll say, we get one of those old school hand drills where you just stick it on there and you crank it with your, with your other hand while you're holding it. Well, that's what it looked like. And so they stuck it into the patient's chest and and just cracked it open. It was a chest spreader, obviously. And the and the patient started to, the doctor start one of the other doctors started massaging the chest to try to stimulate the the. I mean, it's not not massage the chest, but one of the doctors was massaging the heart, trying to get the heart to pump and back in. Well, let, long story short, when they tipped this lady over after she had passed away, and they were trying to, you know, they they were they were obviously you know trying to count all her stab wounds and exactly where when she was already pronounced dead. When they turned her over, literally, it looked like someone just dumped a bucket of blood out on the on the ER floor. And guess who had to clean all that up? Yeah, you guessed it. Yours truly, the graveyard grumbler. So the moral story, though, the whole point of the story, and me going on this whole on this whole left field rant, was that 
the body carries a lot of blood. And I've witnessed that personally where it looked like a bucket of blood was literally dumped on the floor. So precisely how much of the of, of the fluid that was on the floor was actually blood and water was never determined. I mean, you can have, I mean, damn, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know exactly. I, I couldn't say if it was like two, three feet worth of blood, but there was a lot of fucking blood that came out of that lady. So how much of it do you think that was in there? Do you think all of her, all the blood was coagulated and put in there? I don't know. But why would large portions of the skin and muscles be torn away from the other survivors' bodies? That doesn't make any sense. Let's continue. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most of most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. What kind of crazy gas was given to these individuals to where they self-inflicted so much damage with their own fingertips, their own nails, their own that that chunk that they they ripped out chunks and of muscle and flesh? I mean. They dug at themselves so much that their bones on their fingertips were exposed. They weren't done. They weren't ripped out by teeth. They were done by, they, they were self-inflicted with their own hands. God damn. Again, listener discretion is advised. That's why I made that, that, that warning ahead of time. The abdominal organs below the rib cage of all four test subjects had been removed while the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place. The skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the rib cage. God damn. While the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place, the skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the rib cage. The abdominal organs below the rib cage of all four test subjects had been removed. So that means their, their goddamn intestines were just ripped out. Their innards were now outards and they were gone. And of course, I mean, they were smart enough to leave the most important vital organs inside of their body, which was the lungs, heart, and diaphragm. But the skin from the, from the, in between the ribs and, and the muscles and everything else had been ripped off. And you can see right through them, like a goddamn skeleton, like a bloody skeleton, just being, just exposing all the lungs and the fucking heart. Ugh, Jesus Christ. I mean, what kind of gas was given? I can't find what kind of gas was given. And again, this is the reason why I don't know how true the story is. I don't know if it was just a creepypasta story. But again, I read that there was some validity with this story. They just kind of spun it off of what was given as far as the Russian sleep experiment back in the 40s. Now, mind you, I've done an episode before on the Japanese where they conducted horrible experiments on their own people with similar effects. If you're interested, go check out that, that, uh, that episode. I can't remember what episode it was. I've done so many from now on. <laughs> Let's continue. All the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor, fanning out around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the subjects. The digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working digesting food. So, I mean, the gas obviously made them not feel pain or they were just so sleep deprived and so was filled with psycho, was just psychotic from the lack of sleep that they just didn't feel any pain. But they left everything out, just laid out on the floor. All their innards just spread out all around the floor, but their digestive tract was still intact. Huh. 
Let's continue. It quickly became apparent that they were digesting was. It quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was their own flesh that they had ripped off and eaten over the course of days. So are you still a cannibal if you eat your own flesh? I don't know. I mean, I would think so. I would think that if you're if you eat anything that's that's of human nature, you're you're a cannibal. But can you cannibalize your own self and be considered a cannibal? Or you just like your own flavor? (laughs) Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at this facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream to be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on, lest they fail if they fall asleep. So they would rather be in there the way they were, begging for the gas chamber or they were going to fall asleep. Why? What kind of goddamn gas was given to them? That's insane. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the, tra- from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off and an artery in his legs so- severed by one of the subject's teeth. Another five of the soldiers lost their lives if you count ones that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. I mean, it's not unusual for people who have witnessed or have encountered severe traumatic incidents for them to take their own lives. I mean, they just can't take it. It's, it's one of those deals that, that it's too much for them to handle. And all they see every single day, every single night is the traumatic incident that occurred. I mean, it, it's not uncommon for anyone who's been in war for, or witnessed a brutal murder, been a victim themselves for them to take their lives. I mean, the, 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 tra- the trauma is just way too much for them to happen. But what I want to know is what kind of shit was given to them where these guys who were mutilated, they were missing their innards, their their lungs were exposed, so was their heart, put up that much of a fight where they were able to rip out someone's throat. One had his testicles ripped off and an artery in one of the soldier's legs was severed because it was bit by the subject's teeth. So what kind of gas do you think was given? I mean, was it some sort of like methamphetamine, cocaine, PCP gas? You know, it's not uncommon for people to, when they're on PCP to, to, to suffer severe injuries and continue to fight like nothing happened because they don't feel it. They, they don't realize that the connection between their nerves and their brain just, just aren't there. And so they're continuing to keep going and going and going. But they're, they might be blown out. Half of their stomach might be gone. Their arm might be missing, but they don't understand because the PCP is so, is, is pumping through their cores, the, the coursing through their veins. They don't feel it. It's not uncommon. I mean, there's been stories I remember reading of actual, of actual PCP users where they actually cut their face off because they couldn't get the bugs out from their skin. So they decided to rip their entire skin off of their face. Oh, I tell you. In the struggle, one of the four living subjects subject ha, subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. So during the struggle, one of the living subjects had his spleen ruptured. Well, yeah, it was fucking exposed. Of course, it, of course it was uh, ruptured. What else do you think was going to happen? One of the test subjects was injected or the spleen individual who suffered... Uh, the uh, this ruptured spleen was injected with more than 10 times the human dose of a morphine derivative and still fought like a cornered animal 
breaking the ribs and arm of one doctor. What kind of goddamn gas was given to them? Let me know in the comments. GraveyardGrumbler at mail.com, GraveyardGrumbler podcast on Instagram, Podbean, Good Pods, and Podchaser. Do you think this is a real story or do you think this was just an awesome, vivid imagination of someone who writing, enjoyed writing horror stories? Let me know. When the heart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point there was there were no more air in his vascular system. There was no more air in his vascular system. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word more over and over, weaker and weaker, until he finally fell silent and died. So when... After he was given the 10 times the amount of morphine, it was seen that his heart was beating for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point there was no more area in his vascular system. And there was no more blood. There, he, was, he was pretty much bled dry. Even after his heart stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word more and more and more over and over and over, meaning that he wanted more gas. He wanted to be logged back into that chamber and receive more of the gas until he died. He just, that was it. His body's like, yo, I'm tapping out, coach. It's fucking over. Why would you even try to do I mean, what, what was the point of this experiment? Number one, I mean, well, we all know. I mean, when you're creating bioweapons, there is no point other than death. And obviously, you don't want to have, you don't want to give the enemy this type of gas to where they're going to rebel and not be affected by being dismembered pretty much. And still have a chance to kill them. I mean, they created fucking zombies. Holy shit. Yo, okay, hear me out. Hear me out. They felt no pain. They ate their own flesh and were able to live several minutes after the fact that they bled out and had no more oxygen running through their body. These are goddamn zombies. Now, are zombies real? I've done, I did an episode on zombies. We had that zombie deer and, the, and other creatures and critters that were frozen over time in, the, in a permafrost in Russia and were still defrosted after like 70, 80, 90 years and were still found to be alive. What if the Russians, I mean, this happened in Russia. Remember, they found the, the, that frost shit, the, the microorganism or whatever it was that was alive after being frozen in, 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 in frost, in permafrost for years, I mean, for decades, for several decades. They found that in China. Remember, that's where the whole zombie episode was started out from. And now we're reading a story, maybe something that might be true, where Russian researchers developed some sort of gas that created human fucking zombies. I mean, what other zombies are you going to have? But actual zombies where maybe their brain or the, their, their brain, it kind of checked out. To where their body is functioning on bare minimum, but they're pretty much dead, but they don't, they don't realize that they're dead. Oh, I tell you. Now, this story makes it even more creepier. What the fuck? So, the surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility. The two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas demanding to be kept awake. So the two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas, demanding to be kept awake. They didn't want to be sedated. They didn't want to be put asleep. They wanted that shit to be pumped through their body again and again. They, they wanted more of it. 
Jesus, Christmas trees in June. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room that the facility had. In the process of preparing the, the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative they had given him to prepare him from surgery. So I wonder if the if the oxygen, if that gas that was pumped through his body kind of just manipulated his body. So we're like, yo, we don't have any effect because the gas was way more heavier and numbed and, and pretty much burned and killed everything from his body. So after... After his, uh, after his, his, uh, after his experience with the gas, it just burned his entire nerve. So making the sedatives completely irrelevant. Huh. Boy, I tell you. So what's the aftermath of the experience? Obviously there was some aftermath of going on. I mean, all the shit hit the fan. Everything's going crazy. Left, right, up, down, crazy shit happening. So what was the aftermath? So the patient that was put on the on the surgical table, he fought furiously against his restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the weight through a four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even though the weight of a 200-pound soldier holding that wrist as even though the weight of a 200-pound soldier was added to that wrist, he was still he still managed to tear most of the way through a leather strap. It took only a little more aesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, he died. His heart stopped. He was a goddamn zombie. I mean, what other, what other, I mean, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Graveyardgrumbler podcast on Instagram, Podbean, Podchaser, Good Pods. In the, in the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had tripled a normal level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to a skeleton were badly torn, and he had broken nine bones in, the, in his struggle to not be subdued. Most of them were from the force of his own muscles. Most of them, most of them were from the force his own muscles had exerted on him. So his body broke itself. I mean, they, they, were, they, were, they were so bad that they were... They were, they, they, they just tore his own, his own body apart. Jesus Christmas. The second survivor had been the first of the group to, of five to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed. He was unable to beg or object to surgery. And he only re reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested reluctantly they tried the surgery without anesthetic and did not react for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. So this dude said, no, I don't want any sedatives or at all. Somebody from the surgical team said, yo, maybe we should try the surgery with anesthetic. We don't want him to die like the other individual did. We gave him some anesthetic and he died. So maybe we should try this whole surgery. Maybe the gas that was given was already an anesthetic. So let's just go ahead and do it without it. The patient shook his head, yes, let's do it that way. So the, the patient survived the entire six-hour procedure without any sort of reaction. Oh, I tell you. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it should be medically impossible for the patient to still be alive. 
One terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. Oh, maybe it was like, maybe for him, it was one of those, you know, it was like angelic, surreal moments. Maybe he saw her as an angel coming to take him away. He he ho ho ha ha. I don't know. When the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message. It was simple. The patient wrote, keep cutting. What? Keep cutting what? The other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well. Although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation, the surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. So these, the other two patients that went through the same exact procedure, obviously, were laughing so hard that the surgeon had to give them a paralytic to keep them from shaking because they were laughing so hard while the surgeon was operating on them for the entire six hours. Okay, I want to know what kind of goddamn gas was given and if this gas has been completely locked away and never fought, never found, or I'm hoping that this story was actually fake and it was just a creepypasta horror story that was very well written. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the intending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic, the paralyt, the paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds, their bounds, their, I don't know, they're trying to escape their, their, their restraints. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulant gas. The researchers, tr- the researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given, saying, quote, I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced, and they were placed back into the chamber, awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed the stated goals of their project considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. So after all that, the researchers facing wrath of their military benefactors for having failed were being threatened to be used. To, I mean, they the were uh, threatening to euthanize the surviving subjects. Why would you euthanize them? I mean, yeah, it was a fail horde experience. You don't want them to be traced back to you. You don't want any evidence for the public to know what was going on. So let's kill the test subjects. Let's burn all the, all the data and information like this shit never happened. The show must go on. So the researchers obviously wanted to stop the, the, wanted to stop the experiment. So they said, yo, we should not do this anymore, comrade. This is not going to be good for us. We need to stop this shit now, comrade. But the show must go on. The commanding officer, an ex-KGB, an ex-KGB official, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected, but were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back on the gas. So I assume, I mean, again, the, uh, according to, to what I'm getting from this, from this information was that they were fighting the other time, fighting the restraints, you know, complaining, combating, kicking, wanting everything to go, to go, you know, get put back to the gas. The minute that they heard they were going to be put back in the chamber with the gas, they completely started complying and relaxing and not fighting because they, they were wanting to be put back in the chamber with the gas. Huh? It was obvious that at this point, all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. 
One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bounds with all his might, first left, then right, then left again for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brainwaves in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. inexplicably. (laughs) Fuck that word. There's the goddamn zombies. That's why they were flatlining. Their body was dead, but their mind didn't realize it. They they were dying off and on. They were goddamn zombies. That's what they, they, they created zombies. It looked as if the, it looked as if he were repeatedly suffering brain death before returning to normal. As they focused on paper scrolling out of the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed of that of deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. Simultaneously, simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flat lines as one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside as well as three researchers. Goddamn. The, the KGB dude even threw one of the, the three of the researchers in there with the two subjects in the gas chamber. We already know what happened with the gas chamber. Why would you throw the researchers in there? Just zero fucks given at that point. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point blank between the eyes, then turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. For those of you who are having problems, please, read, please again, disclaimer, if for, the, for, any of you though, for any of you who are going through a dark patch of their life and having thoughts of self-harm or feel worthless, helpless, hopeless, please go out and seek help. You, know, you can call your local help hotline, your crisis line. They are willing to listen to you. It's better to talk to someone than no one. I mean, everyone is out there. You can email, you know, you can email me if you're looking to for a talk. I mean, depending on what time I'm working, I might email you back. Graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. Let me rephrase that. I will email you back, but it may not be right when you email me since I, I do work graveyards now. I, I'm back on the Graveyard Grumbler schedule. So, I mean, I will get back to you, though. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's better for you to call a crisis line. Just, just seek help if you're, if you're having dark, lonely thoughts. Let's continue. He pointed his gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed as the remaining member of the medical and research team fil- fled the room. He says, quote, I won't be locked in here with these things, not with you, end quote. He screamed at the man strapped to his table. What are you, he demanded. I must know. The subject smiled. Subject said in, in a in a low growling voice saying, quote, have you forgotten so easily? The subject asked, what are you? We are the madness that lur- we are the madness that lurks within you all begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and peril and paralysis. When you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. Okay, let me reread that because it took me a little a little bit to get through that. So one of the reset one of the researchers asked the test subject, "What are you? I must know." One of the test subjects or the only surviving test subject that was on the bed just smiled and said, "Have you forgotten so easily? We are you. 
We are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. Jesus, that's fucking dark. Now, that's some creepy shit right there. I didn't know zombies can, can say that shit out. The researcher paused, then aimed at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out. So nearly free. Boy, I tell you, you know, Graveyard Grumbler's final round. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. This shit was, was weird. I don't know how accurate this is. What do you think, though? Okay, so this was taken again, like I mentioned earlier. This was taken from the Creepypasta website. If you're interested in reading the whole entire story without me rumbling and grumbling and mumbling on, just go to creepypasta.com website. Check out the story, Rush, The Russian Sleep Experiment. Some people say that this was originally written by a soldier who was present during the whole experiment. Some people say that this was written by a family member of one of the soldiers who had shared the information of what went on. Some people say that nobody knows who actually wrote the story and this was 100% made up. There is no actual proof of this experiment, but would there, would there be actual proof of the experiment? Honestly, if you had something that horrible and, set and that tragic occur, why would you have evidence of something like that happening? I don't think you would. Not at all. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, the, the possibility of this story is 100% real and 100% possible of actually being a, a real experiment. I mean, we have proof all over, all over history. I mean, Stalin from Russia created horrible fucking experiments, genociding on genocidal uh, experiments on his own people. I mean, we have Hitler, you know what? Well, not Hitler himself, but Ham- Hamlet Hemmer, who had crazy ass experience. So did the angel of death, who was a part of the, the Nazi SS experimental team. We also have the Japanese who conducted horrible experiments as well to kill their enemies or not, but it conducts horrible experiments on their own people. Now the list goes on and on and on. So 100% realistically, this could be a real story. It could also 100% not be a real story. Let me know what you think. Graveyard Grumbler at mail.com. Graveyard Grumbler podcast on Instagram, Podbean, Podchaser, and Good Pods. When I read this story, it tripped me out. I wanted to break it down and kind of and do an episode on it. It, it, was, it was fun for me to do, but it was shocking as well. Again, next time I won't have something this graphic on the regular pod. I'll have that on the Patreon. So if you're interested in more episodes like that, go ahead and check out the Patreon. Uh, it's $5. I have one tier. You get a shitload of episodes. I originally started with two stories a month, but I have added more episodes since then. I do something called Confessions. I also do really graphic uh, podcast episodes. And I also do those, this, the creepy stories, the spooky stories that I have written myself or have been submitted. If you're interested in having your story read, uh, read on the Patreon for horror fest or not horror fest before, uh, from, uh, on grim tales of a dark mind, go ahead and submit your story at graveyard at mail.com. I'll be more than happy to read it on the paid Patreon for grim tales of a dark mind. That is the, 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 the spooky story portion of it. All right. Well, I don't know what to think of that shit. I mean, it, it could be real. I hope it isn't real, but it sounds like it kind of is real. Because, I mean, shit like that can actually happen. You know, it, it's shitty and graphic, and hopefully they didn't create fucking zombies. Hopefully there's not a zombie gas out there, but I'm pretty sure there is. Other than announcements, though, again, we still have Struggle Snuggles. 
Ball Python, who is still sponsoring the next several episodes. I appreciate your ad spots and you purchasing ad spots for for the pod. If anyone's interested in purchasing an ad on the podcast, go ahead and email me, graveyardgrumbler at mail.com. I'll be more than happy to work out a deal for a certain amount of slots. We'll, we'll, we'll get something going. Other than that, other than the Patreon, you know, just go and check it out. It's $5, one tier. You get a shitload of episodes a month. And it, I mean, it's pretty cool. I, I have uh, I have a few people in there and they seem to really enjoy what I'm putting out. Other than that, there's no other announcements. Go check out Struggle Snuggles website. Everything will be, well, not his website, but go ahead and go check out his his Instagram. He actually has a a set full of ball python babies that should be hatching sometime in October. I'm sure he'll have those all on his Instagram profile. His Instagram profile will be, or his handle will be in the show notes. Go ahead and go check them out if you're interested in purchasing a, a ball python. If you're if you're curious or you're uneasy about what to do, go ahead and, and message him. I'm going to put his email in the show notes as well to reach out to him. Go ahead and reach out to to Marcos and his ball python struggle snuggle company. He'll 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 walk you through the do's and the don'ts and what to expect as a first time ball python owner. He will also be available for continuing continuing care or continuation of care for your ball python. That way you can have, you know, enjoy your bio, your ball python and you can keep them alive as long as possible. And, you know, unless, you know, old age takes place. But other than that, I have nothing else to announce. I appreciate everybody for listening to the show. Please share my show. Go comment and rate on pod, on Good Pods, Podchaser, and Apple, I, or Apple Podcasts. I greatly appreciate it. It really helps my story get out there, or my story. It really helps the pod get out there and get and get put out in more people's eyeballs as people search and realize that the better ratings that that occur, the higher my show is going to be and more recommended it will be. So I appreciate everyone from the bottom of my little black heart. Thank you very, very much. All my fellow grave takers until next time. Good morning. Good day. Good night. Goodbye. Today's episode is sponsored by Struggle Snuggles Ball Pythons. Struggle Snuggles is a small hobbyist breeder who wants to share the joy of ball pythons with new and experienced snake enthusiasts. Struggle Snuggle offers different types of morphs and standard non-morph pythons. Struggle Snuggle will offer insight on the first-time python owners and is available via email for questions on the continuation for healthy care of your new python. You can reach Struggle Snuggle through his Instagram at strugglesnuggle32257. That's strugglesnuggle32257. So you can get a look at the different type of snakes that he does own. Again, strugglesnuggle32257. His Instagram handle will be in the show notes. This is the end. This is the end. This is the end. Graveyard Grumbler Graveyard Podcast. Grumbler.